truly is no better story than the one that we celebrate today. The story of the gospel, which takes a people who are helpless to the very throne of God, becoming his children, becoming his friends. This is far too good a story for us, far too good an outcome for us. Those of you who understand the gospel, I hope and pray that you're refreshed as we sing about the gospel, as we pray the gospel, as we preach the gospel. And we do that once again this morning. Uh, Those of you who haven't been with us on a regular basis, just want to catch you up. We are working Easter into our series And you'll see why, you'll see how in just a moment. Uh, We're in a series called Reset. And you could understand after the events of this past year, a variety of things have really come to trip us up, to hinder us. As the church of the Lord Jesus. And I felt it necessary, beneficial for us to take some time and sort of hit reset, to go back to the things that we know we ought to do together. So that's what we're we're doing in these weeks. And today is no different. I want to catch you up a little bit, though. We've considered the cost of following Jesus. We've considered the rhythms of discipleship. That is the way the church operates. Acts chapter 2 showed us that. We've talked about discipling through the one another's, all the one another's of the scriptures that are fulfilled ultimately in love. If you love one another, you're going to be kind to one another. You're going to be patient to one another. And so we discussed that from Romans chapter 12. And then we talked about the horizontal benefits of spiritual disciplines. And if you're, yes, if you're like the rest of us, you probably have something that that sort of uh, is a check inside of you when people talk about the, the spiritual disciplines because you start to think about all the things that you need to do and should have done and you don't do well. And we talked about how those disciplines have been given to us not to just serve us, the individual, but to serve others. So in all these ways, we've been pushing ourselves to think in terms of how we can bless one another, serve one another, disciple one another. So this is a series on discipleship. Discipleship essentials in the community of Christ. And today we're going to talk about discipleship as mission from John chapter 20. We're looking to the resurrection of Jesus for peace as he sends us on mission. I want to catch you up a little bit in the text. John 20 Uh, We see the beginning of the chapter shows us the resurrection of Jesus, how uh, John and Peter, what we assume to be John and Peter, approach the tomb. They see it's empty. Uh, We also see uh, Mary who learned that Jesus was, in fact, risen from the dead. She ran back and she began to tell the other disciples. The disciples at this point, they were in desperate need of peace following this gospel event. Think about what they just went through. Jesus had just talked about the spirit who was to come. He talked about on numerous occasions how he was to die and rise again. And they just simply did not understand what was going to happen. So then they see Jesus hanging on a cross and they're like, what does this mean for us? 
The guy we followed for three years is dead. You see, they didn't get it. But even on his resurrection day, when they received the news, they're like, what in the world is going on? They were barely hanging on, as, as we'll see in our text, barely hanging on in a sea of uncertainty. News of the resurrection was traveling, and they were unable to process what exactly this meant for them. And in our text, we're going to see at this critical moment, Jesus appears to them in his resurrection body, bringing them peace, the very peace they needed. And then he sends them out with a foretaste of what was to come in a matter of days. John 20, beginning in verse 19. Hear the word of the Lord. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so... I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, once again, we need your help, the help of the Spirit, to understand your word, your living and active word. Let it cut us deep and bind us, bind us up in our wounds, Father that we may on today look more like Jesus, having encountered your word. We pray this in his name. Amen. The theme for today, the resurrected Jesus commissions his people to make more disciples of the kingdom. The resurrected Jesus commissions his people to make more disciples of the kingdom. Many commentators view this passage to be John's great commission. Those of you who know your Bible well, you know that we typically consider Matthew 28, 19 and 20 to be the great commission. So as you call that to mind, Matthew 28, as you call Mark 16 to mind, as you call Acts 1, you're going to be my witnesses, as you call these texts to mind, also reckon with the fact that Christ's resurrection and ascension to the Father now requires action from you, from us. Now, very likely some of us came to church today not expecting anything except maybe a halfway decent sermon and some old hymns that maybe we used to sing a long time ago or something like that. Uh, get to see folks you haven't seen in a while. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what you were expecting. For some of us, maybe this is just a normal Sunday, and you're excited to hear the Word of God. You're excited to sing with the saints. But I want you to know that today, as we look at this text, Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've been sent. You've been given a mission. And that means upon departing from here, I would argue even here, we are called to engage this 
mission. It's very simple. Disciples of Jesus, join him in making more disciples. That may seem big, but if you hang around long enough, you'll know how we do it here. It's very simple. We've been sent, commissioned by the Lord Jesus to make more disciples. I would argue that the rest of the New Testament really shows us how it can be done. We'll touch on maybe a little of that before we're done today. I want to give you two instructions from this text. Two instructions from this text regarding making disciples, regarding the mission that we've been given. Number one, make more disciples in the peace of the resurrection. Make more disciples in the peace of the resurrection. I get this from verses 19 and 20. The reason I bring up peace here is because two times in this text and a third time when he talks to Thomas, Jesus says the words, peace be with you. Anytime you're reading a passage of scripture and something is repeated like that, you ought to take note. But even more than that, when, when people say peace be with you in uh, the old Hebrew culture, that was like a typical greeting. But Jesus does it a little different here, doesn't he? He says, peace be with you, and then immediately follows that with peace be with you. He's emphasizing something here. I think he's emphasizing the peace that they needed based on his resurrection. So first off here, resurrection peace calms fear. Resurrection peace calms fear. So it's Sunday night, and the disciples at this point were still gripped with fear. The text says they're, they're fearful of the Jews. They locked the doors because they feared that authorities would come responding to the news of Jesus' claimed resurrection, or whatever you might call it. Will they come arrest us? Will they drag us into courts and accuse us? Will they take our lives from us? Some of them, as we learn from other passages, still overcome by doubts. Thomas, doubting, Matthew records, even when they were standing with Jesus, as he gives the Great Commission, what, is it, what does it say? Some doubted. They weren't totally convinced here, some of them. They devoted themselves to following Jesus, so they were questioning everything in fear, in fear. We understand this kind of fear and uncertainty, don't we? We understand this kind of fear. A major life event, you hear some big news, a loved one passes, a life-altering decision has just been made, and in the moment of uncertainty, fear steps in and shows you all the things that you don't want to happen. Fear absolutely hinders Christian commitment and service as well. What if they realize what a sinner I am? My past is too bad. What if I make a fool of myself? I don't have what it takes to do this. What if I fail? I am weak in faith. You know, I would guess that for many of us, there is one thing 
is probably one main thing that keeps you shackled to your fear. All the while Jesus is standing in the victory of the resurrection and declaring, peace be with you. Are you willing to hear that today? Let me tell you this, your life, your Christian life, you, you will always be half-hearted in your devotion, unreliable in the kingdom, ill-equipped for life in general, unhelpful in your relationships, uncertain in your responsibilities, as long as fear keeps you from seeing and knowing the peace that comes from Jesus Christ. The peace that passes all understanding. The peace that speaks victoriously over all your brokenness. The peace that overcomes death and sin. Your sin. In the moment of this fear, Jesus appears. John's language is clear that Jesus does not show up by unlocking doors. Of course, I guess he wouldn't need a key. He didn't show up by turning knobs or opening latches or whatever. He didn't show up by taking a series of steps one after another, but immediate presence. The glorified Jesus. You can imagine their initial shock. The gospel writers don't even attempt to explain what's happening here because they know they can't. I think of all the Old Testament passages that give us glimpses of the glory of God. And it's like words fail to describe exactly what's going on. They simply do not try. He was there and in this resurrection body could be touched. And in this resurrection body could eat physical food. Suffice it to say that the resurrection body is a mystery to us. But I would say more than the miracle, may we be reminded of the promise of Christ's presence on mission. Matthew records it well. Go make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them. And then he says, and behold, I am with you always even to the end of the age. The presence of peace calms fear. So let's be honest. You're scared of disciple making. You're scared of the mission. You're scared to share the gospel. You're scared to learn more, to expose yourself to other people and say, there's a lot I don't know. You're scared of those things. You're scared to be known. Some of y'all, you're just scared of getting hurt. I get it. These are the things that keep you from God's design on mission. When you come to understand the resurrected Lord Jesus, you understand that his peace calms all that fear. But also, resurrection peace creates gladness. 
I imagine that the peace that Christ speaks over them in this passage multiple times had more impact on them than when they saw him calm the wind and the waves. John records here, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The fear lifts. In its place, gladness. The word is rejoicing. Why? Why would they be able to rejoice at the sight of his hands, at the the sight of his side? It's because this was the very same Jesus who was their teacher. This is the very same Jesus who was their companion, their Lord. This was the very same Jesus who was attached to the cross by nails in his hands. The same Jesus who took the spear in his side. John writes, the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. It's almost like for a moment they couldn't grasp it. And then when they recognized who he was, the same Jesus, they were able to rejoice. So no longer were they fearful. They were glad. They were rejoicing. He is risen from the dead. Hallelujah. But let's be honest, some of y'all, y'all ain't seen Jesus like they did here. You think the Jesus that I'm offering you today is like a cheap carbon copy. You know those occasions when you sign something, you're not sure which copy is yours? Jesus says today, the Lord Jesus says today, Here I am, the original Jesus, resurrected, glorified. He is alive, and he speaks through his word today, the creator and sustainer, the one who in his body of flesh was nailed to a tree, becoming a curse, the one who stands right now victorious over death, victorious over your sin. This is the Jesus that's being preached today. So believer, don't think that the Christ in you is anything less than the Christ who trained the twelve or the Christ who stood resurrected and glorified in their midst. Rejoice in this and be glad. His resurrection is the proof that his sacrifice did what we say it did. It did what God said it did. It validated his work on that Friday. Two days ago, we called Friday good. I want to tell you from the scriptures about that day. From Psalm 118, it's a passage that we are familiar with. You may quote it even just in normal conversation from time to time. Psalm 118, I want to read this to you. Listen, you you know it. Listen to these words. Verse 19. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter in through them. 
and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And this is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. You're familiar with that that phrase right there, that, that verse right there, this is the day that the Lord has made. Now, no, we try to apply this every day, but the psalmist is writing about the day the sin was paid for. God appointed this day. And the only reason that we can look on Good Friday and call it good is that our redemption, our salvation was fully accomplished at the cross. So we can read Psalm 118. And we can hear what Jesus says, peace be with you. And we can rejoice and be glad that Good Friday, that was a day planned by God from eternity past. It was a day appointed for our salvation. Resurrection peace creates gladness. Second instruction that we see here second instruction make more disciples with the power of the holy spirit make more disciples with the power of the holy spirit see this from verses 21 and 22 in john 20 his peace is repeated here peace be with you and i want you to note that as in the old testament there is a pattern of bringing peace in the midst of fear first Fear rushes over. Second, peace is declared. You recall the text, do not be afraid. And then third, a task or a commission is given. A task or commission is given. And that's what we see right here. Make more disciples with the power of the Holy Spirit. Note here, first off, God's mission sends the saints. God's mission sends the saints. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so, I am sending you. So right here, I want us to go to like 30,000 foot view. This wording is very specific because you need to know that God has been on a mission since the creation and foundation of the world. Arguably long before that. His mission revolves around bringing glory to his own name. So our triune God is fully satisfied within his three persons, yet purpose to create a people that would willingly rebel against him so that the magnificent story of redemption would further testify to his eternal glorious name. God is the audience of all that is being worked out in human history. God through the Son is the main character. 
in eternity past, the Father, the Son, and Spirit agreed that salvation of fallen imagers of God would take place. And the only way it could happen is through the incarnation, the perfect life, the sin-atoning death, and the resurrection of the eternal Son. So, in our Christian confessions, we agree that the Father sends the Son to accomplish our salvation. And right here in this verse, Jesus confirms it as the Father has sent me. I know this is very teachery right now, but this is, this is so important to understanding who we are as Christians, what we've been called to do. So Jesus confirms his being sent by the Father, yet he places our role right in line with his. He sends us in the same way. But we need to be careful here. We've not been sent to die on a cross and save people from their sins. You and I can't save anybody. But as his followers, he commissions us to make his saving act known far and wide. To persuade people, all people, all across the globe throughout history to follow Jesus. We're in a graduation season, so a lot of graduates are right now celebrating the fact that their educational, I guess, step is coming to an end. You know what they're also doing? Most of them putting together graduation announcements. I remember doing this in the hopes that somebody would respond with some money. And... I want you to think of the way that we're sent in the same way that that announcement is given. The work has been accomplished. Jesus carried out the act of redemption. And what he does is he puts these letters together, you and me, and sends them out across the globe, across time, to make his saving act known. So if you're willing... You could see yourself as a letter that carries the message of the gospel to your neighbor, to your coworker, to your family, to one another. I wonder what it would do for you to have somebody else this morning while we gather remind you of the gospel, remind you of the good news of Christ's atoning work. But, you know, even when we understand our commission, our first response is often, but, but we can't do what Jesus did. He was so good at talking to people. He was so good at making disciples. We can't, we can't replace him. But here, he brings peace once again. You remember the occasions after the resurrection where Jesus spoke of what was about to happen? He told the disciples repeatedly, wait, wait. Wait until you receive power from on high. Wait until the Father sends the gift that he promised. Wait until, wait in the city, he says several times, until the Spirit comes. Here's the big news. You're far more helpless than you realize. You think, oh yeah, I can, I can do this Christian life, or I'm doing okay at the Christian life. No, no. The Bible is very clear. You can't fulfill the mission in your power. 
You can't convince somebody into the faith. You can't make a disciple. You can't even live the Christian life. You can't fight your sin. You can't even truly confess Jesus is Lord, Paul says, without the help of the Holy Spirit. And you think you're going to do something for God, right? No. You need, you need the helper. You need the comforter. You need the fruit bearer, the Holy Spirit himself. God's mission sends the saints And that leads us into God's mission supplies, the Holy Spirit. The concept of the Holy Spirit was not a new one. Just days before, John 14, verses 26 and 27, Jesus says to the disciples, he says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And here, just a matter of days later, we see them fearful and in desperate need of the peace of Jesus and the promise of the Holy Spirit. Here, Jesus not only speaks of the Spirit, but the text says that he breathes on them. He breathes on them. I hope that brings to mind some things from Scripture. You recall when when God created mankind, he gave breath to them. He gave them life. He gave us a soul. This should come to mind. Maybe fast forward a little bit. You remember Ezekiel, when when Ezekiel was called to preach the word and the spirit through the preached word actually brought life to dry bones in a valley. And if you can imagine the, the, the image here that Ezekiel gets, these dry bones are coming together, being reconstructed. And it actually goes into the detail of the tendons and the muscles that are being put on these bones, the flesh that recovers these bones. This is the kind of breath that comes through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is teaching the disciples and he's teaching us our desperate need of the Spirit, his presence and his work. Right here he says, receive the Holy Spirit. And commentators agree uh, on this general idea that this reception is not the same thing as the outpouring of the Spirit at Pentecost, upon which believers are indwelt with the Spirit. This reception maybe works better in terms of a a foretaste. I know some of y'all are looking forward to your barbecue so much right now. You can almost taste it, right? You got barbecue on the grill right now smoking. You can almost taste it. Right here, Jesus breathes on them, says receive the Holy Spirit, and they're reminded of what he told them. Reminded of the gospel, reminded of the promise of the Spirit several ways the Holy Spirit works in and through us on mission. I'm not going to go into all of them, but here are just a few. 
The Holy Spirit regenerates hearts. Here's where we can go back to the truth that you can't save anybody. You can't argue anybody into the faith. Being born again is an act of the Spirit. And oddly enough, Jesus to Nicodemus in John chapter 3 talks about the breath, the wind, the work of the Spirit. Jesus to, to Nicodemus was saying, hey, you can't tell where the wind is going, but you can tell where it's been. He says, so it is with the Spirit. The Spirit moves about where he wills, bringing salvation, bringing the word, bringing conviction where he wills. We can't coordinate or control the work of the Spirit. As, as much as many Christians would like to say, the Spirit works as he wills. So every week we get up and preach the gospel. Every week we're on mission in the world, trusting that the Holy Spirit will regenerate Hearts. But I would also tell you today that the work of the Spirit may be drawing you to Jesus. Just like the writer of Hebrews tells his recipients, do not neglect the work of the Spirit because if you were to do so, you may end up hardening your heart to the point where you can't be renewed again to repentance. That's a terrifying thought, folks. If you don't know Jesus today, there is a point at which the Spirit will no longer operate in your favor. And you're playing with fire, a lot of fire, fighting the work of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit regenerates hearts. The Holy Spirit renders growth. Very briefly, your growth in Christ's likeness depends on the Spirit working in and through the Word of God and the church of God. Without the breath of the Spirit, there is no spiritual work being done. He regenerates hearts. He renders growth. And then the Holy Spirit, and this is where we're headed in, in Scripture, if you work it out, the Holy Spirit rests upon the church. This was a foretaste of Pentecost. Wait until you receive power from on high. And then Acts chapter 2, upon the preaching of Peter, the preaching of the dead and resurrected Jesus, the Spirit comes. The Spirit is poured out in his fullness. Now, there is so much that we need to understand, I need to understand, about the work of the Spirit as it's displayed in Scripture. The point of Acts chapter 2 is to say, at the very least, that there is a new work that the Spirit is doing, and he does it through the church. The Spirit comes according to that same Trinitarian agreement that we said earlier. The Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. The Spirit falls upon the disciples through their faithful witness and creates the church. So you want to you go to the Great Commission and say, make disciples? Okay, let's go out and make disciples. But then Jesus says, wait, you need the Spirit. What does the Spirit give? The church. You may be real excited about making disciples out there in the world, and I would say you cannot do it apart from the church. It's impossible. You, by yourself, you cannot replace Jesus. But what are we called? The body of Christ. So the church takes up the commission. 
the resurrected Jesus commissions his people to make more disciples of the kingdom. Make more disciples in the peace of the resurrection. Make more disciples in the power of the spirit. I want to conclude with this question we've been asking in our series, so what? So what? I'm going to help you make a little application today. Simple stuff. First thing, what is the one thing keeping you from Christ? If you're an unbeliever, maybe you don't know really if you're an unbeliever or not, then I would say you're an unbeliever. What is the one thing that keeps you from like all out following Jesus? What's the one thing you refuse to give up? I have presented you the very Jesus that stood in the presence of the disciples. Is that one thing worth more than Jesus? Is it more desirable than Jesus? Is it more satisfying than Jesus? I will tell you, absolutely not. Respond in faith to him. Second, and this is for the believers, renew intimate fellowship with Jesus. Your life looks like your Jesus is a carbon copy. Like it's just the picture of the real thing, not the real thing. I would tell you today that Jesus is alive. He's the same today, yesterday, and forever. He's the one believer that lives in you. It's not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Renew that intimate fellowship with Jesus. Thirdly, exchange your failing power with the Spirit's power. You can't do what you've been called to do apart from the help of the Spirit, apart from the work of the Spirit. Exchange that power. Stop trying so hard and surrender to the Spirit's help. We're going to, in a moment, respond Somebody is going to sing while we reflect upon the truth of the word. And then we will join in together singing a hymn of response anytime during these next couple of songs. I would invite you to repent of sin and believe on Jesus for the first time. And then follow that by publicly professing that through baptism. Publicly professing that. There's no secret Christians There's no secret confession of faith. It's Jesus is my Lord. Maybe there are some believers who need to renew their commitment to the call to make disciples, to the mission God's given us. Now would be the time to confess your sin, confess your neglect of the spirit, whatever it may be, be restored in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we once again rejoice. We rejoice because of the peace that that Jesus brings us in 